How are you today? A great preacher one time said, His work is not passive. Do you know who said that? No. Ryan Klotzel. About how many minutes ago, Ryan? (laughs) That was great. In his prayer, in his communion prayer, one of the things he said, things ever stand out to you? He said, his work, thank you, Lord, that your work is not passive. That fits right into what we're going to talk about this morning. I want you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I think every every time that I preach, I, I stand, and you probably will get tired of me hearing hearing me say this, but I stand to to take things for granted a lot of times and see a sermon is just a sermon, and God's word is just God's word, and I don't want to ever do that. So we've installed a little red light back in the back. If if I do that, they're going to let me know that I'm getting to that point. And I hope we as listeners do not ever get to that point. It, it's a battle sometimes, isn't it, to to study and read and hear God's Word and not at times take it take it for granted. I think th- this is one of one of those passages that is really easy to do because, in a sense, it consists of lists. Now, I'm going to guess that most of you this morning, or let's say a large part of you, do not live your life with a list. I'm one of those weird people that do, as a rule. I live my life by a list. I do one, two, three. Now, I get off, okay, we're not perfect, but I'm going to venture to guess that a lot of us just live our lives, right? Anybody? Sure. And there's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, it causes a lot more stress if you do it list-wise than it does if you just sort of live it and enjoy it. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I think there's a man who lives with a, a woman that lives her life by a list. And so I think sometimes in Scripture we fall into that lull, if you will, of just sort of going, okay, I'm, I'm reading this and one, two three, four, and do this, and this, and this will happen. Or if you don't do this, this will happen. This is one of those passages, I think, that is easy to fall into that trap with because it is sort of a list passage. But the beauty with with this, and Paul does this a lot. As a matter of fact, uh, Eutychus in the window that fell out when when Paul was preaching is probably not the only person that ever fell asleep when Paul preached. Um, If you read uh, at length Paul's writings, uh, particularly when they get into the theological part, they can be weighty and boring uh, sometimes. Now, I'm not supposed to say that because this is God's Word, but, I mean, 
if if you don't connect the dots, sometimes they they can be, particularly certain books. But once you start connecting the dots to what he's talking about, it not only becomes unboring, if that's a word, but it actually becomes exciting to not only read, but to study. Hopefully we'll see that in this passage this morning in the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Colossae is a, is a city that very little is known about. Uh, we, we do know it's in Asia Minor, and we, we know that Epaphras, who is a guy that we know very little about. There's a lot of people in the, in the Bible that we know very little about. And it's interesting that a lot of times we take, uh, by the way, preachers and teachers take individuals and, and situations in the Bible that are familiar. And it's great sometimes to look at some of those individuals that are not too familiar, places that are not too familiar. But Paul very well may not have, according to chapter 2 of this book, verse 1 I think it is, that he may have never visited this city and Epaphras probably was the one who did most of the evangelizing. Later on, uh, he would spend some time with Paul in Philemon. The real short book, uh, verse 23, shares that with us that they spent time in prison together. And this very well could be the time where Paul, discussing the things that were going on in the church at Colossae and in the city itself, would take time to write a letter to this church in Colossae and speak to some of the issues that were going on at the time. Paul did that frequently uh, to the churches. Uh, he also frequently, evidently, was in prison. So, you know, I guess when you're in prison, you have a lot of time on your hands. You can do a lot of writing. So he did. This is one of those times. And so this letter makes its way back to the church at Colossae and in particular, he wants to answer some of what, what I'll call this morning errors uh, in the church, what, what some have called heresy in the church. I think that's a little bit more difficult for a palate to taste than errors in the church. And so he's going to, he's going to answer some of those. So I don't want to weigh you down with this, but some of those you'll find in chapter 2, verse 8, if you just want to if you just want to glance there, a belief system called a hollow and deceptive philosophy, Paul says. The, the church had a tradition uh, based on tradition, uh, tradition-based Christianity, I guess you would, would say. Paul wants to deal with that some. and element, uh, Elemental spiritual forces, which were underlying in the system of their belief um, in the church. He didn't feel like they were very Christ-centered. Uh, felt like they had restrictions and placed restrictions on themselves that were really not fair to other, other people in the church. There were some disciplines that Paul was concerned about with the believers. Angel worship was central to, to that group of believers in that town, that city of Colossae. Visionary experiences, pride, losing connection with Jesus, uh, rules, keeping rules, being more important than a relationship with Christ. So Paul's going to Paul's going to touch on 
some of these issues as he writes in chapter 3 and as he shares this letter that he wrote from prison to the church. He's going to share some of these things that concern him. And what he's going to do is, as he shares these things, he's going to prior in his letter share who we are in Christ. Now this is critical because if you do not know who you are in Jesus, someone else will define that for you. That's why I entitled this sermon, Staying in Bounds When the World Tries to Push You Out. If you do not know who you are in Jesus, someone else will frame that out for you. Anybody have teenagers that you struggle with in school? And maybe they were brought up in church. You taught them as much as you could about the Scriptures and and the Lord Jesus, and, and you find yourself just battling with some of the philosophies and things that they come home and sort of share with you. And not that they believe, but you can see that the world is trying to shape their view on what they believe. And we probably experienced that in our lifetime too when we were in high school and about that age. It seems like that is a very developmental age. And so if we don't know who we are in Jesus, it's really going to be easy for someone in the world to shape what we believe about Him. And so, before Paul ever gets to this point in Colossians 3, he's going to go back because he's, he's going to say here in, in chapter 3, verse 1, if or since you have been raised up with Christ, Keep seeking the things above. Now, if we stopped there and just prayed and went about our business, how many of us would even know what he's talking about there? See, that's what I'm talking about. And there are going to be other things he's going to say here. If, if we don't go back and find out how he's, Paul is connecting the dots with, with our relationship with Christ, we, we're lost. What, seek what, what things? How does all this fit together? And so we're going to go back in chapter 1 of Colossians and we're going to pick up with verse 13. Chapter 1, verse 13. Paul's going to share something very, you know, like, you, ever, you ever have these wow moments, you know, these moments in your life where you go, your eyes open and you go, whoa, I read this and I said, I see what Paul is talking about in verse 1 of chapter 3 when he says, keep seeking the things above. And so, I read this. Paul referring to Jesus, he delivered us from the domain of darkness. Stop there. Have you ever, ever really been in a place that's dark? It's very difficult to find one. Try to find one. You can't lay down at night and cut off your lights at night. There's light coming through somewhere. It's never totally, completely dark. Find a place. You can't go out here. There's lights somewhere. If you go out and there's no street lights or no lights glaring, a car light will come along. So, and if not, the stars from the heaven. It's really never completely dark. I've only experienced that one time in my life, other than spiritual darkness, which is what Paul is referring here. So, how do you relate to that? And so, back in my senior year in high school, when I was preparing to graduate a long time ago. 
My dad did not want me to follow in his footsteps. My dad was a coal miner for many decades, and 83 years old now, and he's has not been in the coal mines for years. But I said, I want to go to work with you in the coal mines. And after a while, he acquiesced, and I went in and worked with him in the coal mines for a few days. And he said to me one time, he said, you know, if you really want to see it, he didn't know the Lord then, and so this was interesting. He said, if you really want to know what dark is, you're about two miles back in, in, in the ground, okay? He said, get back there by yourself where no one is, and you have a light with a battery attached, and that's what operates your light so you can see while you're back there. He said, cut your light off, and you will experience true darkness. And for the first time in my life, and probably the only time in my life, I experienced what true darkness was. You heard the old saying, you cannot see the hand in front of your face. You can't see anything in front of your face. And it's truly dark. That's what Paul's referring to. I mean, a place in our spiritual lives where we were in complete darkness, couldn't see anything, and people could tell you about the Lord, and they can share spiritual things with you, and you were just blank. I mean, that's what Paul says in chapter 1, verse 13. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. I mean, it completely had us engulfed. And he did something that, that we didn't deserve. He transferred us. He transferred us, in verse 13, to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now watch this. And as a result of that, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And I don't know about you, but that does something for me. I mean, complete darkness, and now I'm in light. I couldn't see before. I couldn't understand before. I couldn't reason before. I didn't even know I was lost. And now, I see light. I have hope. I mean, that's, that's the background from which Paul was going to write when he gets in his letter, what we consider chapter 3, of course, when Paul wrote the letter, there are no chapters, verses, divisions. It was just a letter. Wouldn't it have been great to read some of those letters just in letter form? I don't know about you, it's very difficult reading in my Bible because things are broken up. And I see, you know, this section is to end here, and this section is to end here, and this section is to start here. And Paul writes this letter and he says, I want you guys to know something not very deep into his letter. You guys used to be in darkness and now you've been transferred into light. And you have received forgiveness and redemption of sin through my son Jesus. <laughs> now when he gets to the point in chapter 3 where he says keep seeking the things above, it makes a little bit more sense. But now he's going to go further into his letter in chapter 2. Would you join me in verse 9? For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him we have been made complete. And He is the head over all rule and authority. And in Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Jesus. He's made us something. He's changed us. Having been buried with Him in baptism in which 
you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. Whoa! That's good stuff. I mean, that's what He's done for us. And these are the people that Paul is writing to. Those individuals that were in darkness, now they're in the light. Those individuals that were spiritually nailed to a cross, He pulls those nails out, takes them upon Himself, is nailed to the cross, suffers death, sheds His blood, so that we could be forgiven. Hallelujah. That's pretty good. That's what Paul says. And so he says in verse 1 of Colossians chapter 3, since that is your condition, now how many of you, that's your condition? I know there's more than a couple. If that's your condition, then you can jump to chapter 3 verse 1 and say, since that is my condition, from chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Colossians, since that is what Jesus has done for me, then I can keep seeking the things which are above. That still doesn't answer though, if you're in that category, what are those things that Paul says that I am to keep seeking from above? What are those heavenly things? I don't know where where we ever got the, the idea that heaven was up there and hell was down there. Anybody know? I don't think so. I don't. I don't. I mean, we've read things and and so on. I, isn't it a great concept to understand it like this? Wherever God is, that's where heaven is. And wherever He is, I want to be. Now, I've always believed that it's up there somewhere. We talk about the heavens, and we're not going to debate that this morning. And just because I say this doesn't mean I'm right. And whatever you believe doesn't mean you're right. But wherever God is, I want to be. If He lives in a cornfield somewhere, I want to be there. Don't you? If He lives in the big city, I want to be there. If the kingdom of heaven looks totally different than I want to have in my little feeble mind, I want to be there, don't you? I want to share that with Jesus someday. That's what I want. So wherever heaven is, if it happens to be up, that's where God is. And that's where Paul wants us to abide. That's where he wants us to think about. That's what he wants us to see. Is where God is. So he says, not only do I want you, Paul, in this letter, say to the Christians in the church to keep seeking those things where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, but then in verse 2 he says, set your mind on these things. Set your mind on these things. Now, the philosophy of Paul's day was oriental mysticism which placed a lot of emphasis on the mind, which said, 
It had a low view of the body and nature as a whole while a major emphasis was on the mind. In other words, you can only truly know God from your mind. It really doesn't matter how you live just so you know Him up here. Sound like a familiar philosophy? A lot of religions are based on that, by the way, today. And that was the philosophy then. And so Paul is going to say to the Christians, that's not how we are. Now, to understand that, you have to go back again and and ask the question, why not, Paul? Why are we not like this? Because he said you've been removed from the domain of darkness and now you're in the light. And you no longer are nailed to the cross, but Jesus pulled those out and He hung on the cross for you. So it's not all about the mind. It's about who God is. It's not about what you think religion is. It's about what it is. And it's all about Jesus. And Paul drives that home in many of his letters. Paul speaks concerning the mind while we're seeking these things above. And he says, set your mind on these things. And he's going to share some things with them a little bit later on in this chapter. This is not an unfamiliar uh, teaching to us. We just a few months ago went through the book of Mark on Wednesday night, and this came up. Now I'm going to use the parent passage that uh, Pastor Ryan used in Mark, but it's the same incident. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, Jesus tries to teach this concept to His disciples and particularly uh, to Peter. And I'm going to turn in my Bibles to Matthew, or my Bible to Matthew chapter 16 because I need to. If you're really good and you retain things, you don't have to turn there, but if you're like me, you need to see it. And so I need to see it. Here we go. In chapter 16, verse 21, Jesus foretells His death, which He did several times. And it seems like the disciples never really did, never did really get it even after He died. But He does anyway because He needs to. And so He says from that time, Jesus began to, in Matthew 16, 21, show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up the third day. Peter had a little bit to say about that, as he usually did. And he began to rebuke Jesus, saying, God forbid it, Lord, that this should happen to you. And look what Jesus does. He's of the same mindset, no pun intended, it just came out that way. He's of the same mindset that Paul is. When he says to Peter, as he turns to him and gives him this stare, Get behind me, Satan. Now we focus so much on that, but look what he says later. You are a stumbling block. He doesn't say to the rest of the people. What does he say? You're a stumbling block to me. Hold on. It's the Son of God speaking here. Now, now this has to be serious stuff. I mean, what Paul is writing and what Jesus agrees with Paul, this has to be serious stuff. I mean, 
where our minds are spiritually has to be of utmost importance to Paul because it is to Jesus. And he says, you're a stumbling block to me for you are not setting your mind on God's interests. Whoa. I don't know the hierarchy in certain principles and things in Scripture. I don't know them all. I don't know anybody that knows them all. And I don't know in in Colossians 3 if Paul is trying to say in verse 1, this is the most important. Verse 2, next. Verse 3, next. Verse 4, I don't know that. I don't know the mind of Paul when he writes this letter. I don't know the church at Colossae. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know where they are spiritually. But as I read this, and I connect what Paul believes about the mind, about setting my mind on the things that God is interested in, it appears to me it's so serious that Jesus thinks it's important. And He agrees with Paul that when I don't concern myself with the things that interest God, it affects even Jesus Himself. Wow. Now, to me, that's heavy stuff. Paul instructs the believers as well in Philippians. I'm not going to go to all these passages, but there's so many, not only uh, people, but books in the New Testament that agree with this principle that when our minds are not right spiritually and when our spiritual minds are not keyed in on the things that interest God, it's a serious issue. So Paul says, keep seeking those things above. Set your mind in verse 2 on those things that are above. As opposed to, he'll say in Colossians 3, not the things that are on the earth. Now, what are those things? Now, he's going to have a list down here which we're not going to go through. And it's interesting that, that he speaks of some that are from the heart and some that are from the lips. But we won't get into those because I used to tell years ago when I taught children and we had children's church and so on, I would I would tell them, I think most of us, even children, know what good and bad is. Right? You can begin to do something and your conscience, your heart, your mind will say to you, what? Don't do that. And sometimes we ignore it and we say, eh, it won't hurt this time. And so we do. And so when we do something good, we always think, that felt good, didn't it? I mean, it just seemed right. And so we, I think, know what good and bad is. I don't really think we need a list. You know, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. But we do need to understand the principle that as believers we are to seek the things that are above and we are to be interested in the things that God is interested in. That's what Paul's going to say. And so if you want to jot down Philippians chapter 3, it's a classic passage that we know all too well. And we could probably quote some of those verses. But verse 17 in Philippians 3, 
Paul says, Brothers, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Because he said there are a lot of people who don't. And then he says, set your mind not on earthly things. That's what he says. Which would lead me to believe, since he wrote this book, Colossians, that he would say, set your mind on things above. Now back to Colossians 3, since Paul is, is, is saying this in verse 2, and because you have died and you are now in Christ, he says in verse 3, when Christ who is our life in verse 4 is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, verse 5, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead. And then he begins to list all these things, which we're not going to go into. Because once I do, I'll lose you. And I don't want to lose you. If I was sitting there and I heard all this, I would it'd lose me too. So let's not do that. You can read those later. But he's going to go into this, he's going to go into this list when he says in verse 5. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Now, some of you in your translations will will not see that word consider. It won't be there. You say, oh, we have an issue. Well, some of the translators later added that word because I don't consider. You know what consider means? You know what the idea of consider means? It means to lead before the mind. And so... There's a lot of things in the Scripture I don't, I don't let sort of pass by the mind, if you will. Do you? I'm going to guess you're normal like me. You look normal like me. So I'm going to guess we're human beings and with, there's a lot of things in Scripture we sit and hear and read. My aunt used to say about one of my first cousins, it goes through one ear and you had cousins like that too? Or you were like that. And that's the way we are spiritually sometimes. So some of the translators thought it might be a good idea to add that word. And so NASB has it. Some, A couple of the other translations have it. Many of the translations don't. But the idea and the concept is still the same. Paul wants us to think about who we are. You ever do that? I mean, who you really are in Jesus. Go back to Colossians 1, 13 and 14. That's who you are. Now, if you don't know that, again, the world will define that for you. They'll tell you who you are. And you know, like somebody said, once somebody tells you something over and over and over and over again, you begin to what? Believe it. And then you begin to live it and act it out. And pretty soon, you don't know who you are. And the church is real good at telling us that. I'm going to guess that our pastor, Pastor Ryan, would challenge you to challenge him on the Scriptures. Right, Ryan? You better know what you believe from the Scriptures on who you are in Jesus, what your relationship is like, and why. That's really what this is all about. Not a list of things to look at and say, well, got that checked off, right? I'm not immoral. I haven't robbed a bank. I haven't beat my wife recently. 
I haven't done too many things that are wrong, so I'm a pretty good person. Know what Paul is interested in? He's wanting you to know who you are. So you then can live a life that is heaven-centered, if that's where heaven is. That's heaven-centered, where God resides. You know, that kind of life. That, that's, that's good stuff. So, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. King James puts it like this. Put to death. NIV says, mortify. Put down the members of your earthly body, as, as if they were dead. Now there's a reason that Paul is going to say this, because dead parts can't do anything. I've, I've done a lot, I've participated in a lot of funerals, conducted a lot of funerals in my lifetime. Not once have I had one of those dead individuals raise up out of the car. And when they do, that'll be my last funeral. That I participate in. Have you? Dead people don't move. Dead people don't speak. Dead people don't do anything. And Paul is asking us here to consider our spiritual beings like this. As dead to those things that, that he just listed, some of them in, he'll list in, in this verse actually, and then in verse 8. He wants us to consider ourselves as dead. Now, if I don't consider this and live like this, there are repercussions. Now, I've always said, I don't want God mad at me. You want God mad at you? Now, there's some children in here old enough, I think, uh, teenagers that are old enough to recollect once or twice when your parents are mad at you. Good feeling? Young adults, you're not old enough to forget. Now, some of us, we don't remember. Like, we were perfect children. Any of you guys, like me, when I was a perfect child, you know, you, things get fuzzy and foggy, and you raise your children, you want them to be perfect, you know, like us. Why are you smiling? I'm trying to be serious. Listen, we know, don't we? We remember when our parents were mad at us. A bad feeling. Your wife, your wife ever get, fellas, your wife ever get? Well, let's skip this. Ladies, does your husband ever get mad at you, upset at you? I'm going to say that none of us have ever experienced true wrath from our parents, or our spouse, or anybody. I mean, true wrath. And yet, Paul says in his letter to the Colossians. If you don't live like this, the way that God wants you to, the wrath of God will come as a result of this, of these things. Verse 6, for it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And he says, just in case you try to pull yourself out of that category and say, yeah, but I'm not in, I'm not there. He, he has this. This is good because even though Paul was weighty, he could hit the point of the matter right on the head. And here Paul nails it. He said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just in case some of you guys thought, well, I was raised in church. I, would live, I, I was raised in a good Christian family. I was taught all the things uh, in the Bible. And I've got most of this stuff down. And I'm not a bad person. 
Look what he says in verse 7. He says, I just want to remind you of this. In them you also walked when you were living in them. All of us. Every one of us were in that category. I don't care how far back we can remember we were in church. I know a lot of people, not only in this church, but in my past uh, church experiences, they were born in church. They were in the nursery. That's all they ever remember. But you know, there was a time in your life where you were lost. That you were in darkness. And you say, I don't remember. You were. And if we're depending on the church to save us, then we're, we're in a different league. It's not, Paul said we have to have a different discussion here over here. But I'm talking about people that were lost. So we all fit in that category. Paul is going to say in his letter here. After we seek the things above and set our mind on the things above and consider our earthly body as dead, now is the time in verse verse 8 to, as Paul says, but now you need to take action. And he's going to have a whole list of things here. Now, I would always like to believe that Paul is talking to me. You know, this is not some kind of spiritual osmosis. I mean, if you get close to your wife there to rub off on you, your husband or whoever you consider to be spiritual next to you or behind you or in front of you, it'll sort of just happen. I mean, it takes not only a concerted effort, but work. I mean, to do these things, it takes a mindset and a heart to go along with it that wants to follow and wants Jesus to be central in their life. So he's going to say, take action. Put all these things aside that he's going to list here in in verse 8. Take off the old clothes. The things that will... As a Christian, it'll bog you down and and slow you down and and put on the new self, a renewal, as Paul calls it, in verse ten, to a true knowledge. Now he was battling this false knowledge that said it's what you know about God is really enough, and and the more you know about God's even better. And Paul's going to say, no, 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 your relationship with God is what is most important. The knowledge will come later. Someone said many years ago, not spiritual knowledge without a relationship with God is very dangerous. Paul would agree with that. Very dangerous. Relationship because I've been freed from darkness and I've been set into light. Been unchained and unnailed from the cross and Jesus took my place and provided me forgiveness of sin and changed my life. And now Paul will say, seek those things that are above and seek those things that that interest God. And if I don't know what they are, find out what they are. One sermon could never begin to even touch that. Nor would I even try. Now lest you say, 
you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't know where to start. I mean, is this something that, you know, you do, you go to the store, spiritual store and buy it? I mean, is there a verse in the Bible that I can sort of tap into? The hope of eternal life, you know, kind of thing. And it just springs eternal and I don't have too much work involved in all this stuff. Lest we think that way, Paul is, is going to nail it again in, in verse 11 when he says, you know, this renewal that is supposed to be going on in your life, that, that's exactly what it is. It's a process. Paul is going to say it's, it's a process that is ongoing. And he says in this verse, it's for everybody. I don't care if you're Greek. I don't care if you're Jew. I don't care who you are. I don't care your age, if you're young, old, or in between. This is for everyone. And I love what he says here at the end of the verse. And he says, it is possible because Christ is all and in all. If Jesus lives in you, this is possible. Isn't that great? If Jesus is a part of your life, if Jesus has brought you out of darkness and put you in light, if He's taken you off the cross and pulled the nails out and took your place up there for you, it's possible. And not only is it possible, it can happen. It's going to take some work. Speaking of my dad earlier, I'll close with this because it's so practical. I remember growing up when my dad would come home from work that he would uh, shed his skin. I was just down to see my dad in the nursing home yesterday and I was holding his hands and I was telling Charlotte, I said, those hands have held a shovel and loaded coal cars for many decades. They're all gnarled and all weathered and beaten and arthritic and thrown up. But I remember something that he used to do when he would come home. And I have pictures many, many years ago of this. He was black. I mean, cold, dirt, dust, black. And the first thing that he wanted to do is get out of those old, dirty, coal miney, black, dirty clothes. And so he would shed those and, and take a bath and the old guy cleaned up pretty good. That's what it's all about. You take those things off that weigh you down. You take those things off that dirty you up. You take those things off you know that are not interesting to God. Take a spiritual bath and put on some good things, good clothes. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for what You've done through Your Son, Jesus. We, we say that all the time in our church. I'm, I'm grateful for that too because I need to be reminded. I need to be reminded of, of what You've done for me. And I know that many in this room echo that I know that.
that hearts that sit here this morning are saying, Jesus, thank You so much for removing me out of darkness, placing my feet in light, for changing my life, and in not allowing sin to nail me to the cross, to condemn me to a life without where God is. But You've transformed me. You've made me new and I make a commitment to You to seek those things that are above and to set my mind on things that interest You and watch You work from through me to glorify Your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank You for that. In His name we pray. Amen.